Inspiring solutions to save America one show at a time. Are you ready to get on board? When are you guys going to learn? The more you indict, the more we unite. Facts. It's Trump 2024. We don't care. You heard me? We already made our mind up. You already know when the hood got your back. Man, they deep in the hood. Gangsters. Talking about Trump 2024, you heard me? Woo woo! Wah! Gangsters! The hood got this man back. I'm just trying to tell you. You heard me? And we ain't we ain't stupid, man. American people, man. We ain't we ain't all them talking about lockdowns and back when the mask and all that. You know, they got a new virus coming and it's gonna be man, nobody don't care. Ain't fooling nobody no more with none of that. You know, new jack, man, nobody. Nobody being fooled no more. We all the way up. You heard me? It's Trump 2024. That's what it's going to be because we ain't having nothing else. From sea to shining sea. Three hours of bold truth and excellence. The Wendy Bell Radio Program. Hey, hey, welcome back. Hour number three of the Wendy Bell Radio program. You know, we talk often on this show about polls. And I tell you, I don't really believe any polls. I find them to be interesting trends, things we could pay attention to. We can see what's important in the news and what's not. But I feel like polls, by and large, an awful lot like science. We used to believe in that, too. Well, what can we believe? I understand the gentleman we're having on now, his name is Rich Barris. He's the director of big data polling that this guy, the people's pundit, knows what's going on. Hi, Rich. Welcome to the program. Hey, Wendy. Thanks for having me. And I can't I got to tell you, I can't blame you. Good. Thank you. I, I, you know, I feel like every time I look at a new poll, it seems like somebody's trying to con me in one way or another. So how do we make sense of all of the data that's being thrown at us? Uh, due diligence. I mean, that's a really good question. Due diligence. Uh, you know, for, for instance, you got to know the pollster has performed over the last couple of years. And remember that despite, I think there's been like an increasing interest in polls in recent years, and I don't think that pollsters have done a good enough job explaining to people what polls are really meant to do. You know, they're they're not supposed to be taken with precision, as if they have precision accuracy, that they're gospel. They're made to identify trends, snapshots in time. And I think that um, pollsters just did a horrible job explaining that to people as interest in polls, you know, grew over the years. What's the key to a a good poll? I mean, is there such a word as a good poll? I mean, how, how do you define that? Yeah, that's a good that's a real that's another really good question. You know, I don't know if the word good is is the best one to use. I would say, you know, reliable. Is this a reliable pollster? Is this somebody who in the past has given me, you know, uh, results that at least depicted, you know, the general reality of, of a race in a given time? Or is this somebody who, like, gaslit me and, you know, constantly puts out garbage until we get right by the election, change their result dramatically, and, uh, you know, they're wrong a lot. 
So, you know, looking back at how a pollster is done is, a, is really important, Wendy. It's really important. And don't rely on other people who claim to do that for you. Right. You can't. Right. I feel like there is so much manipulation of, of all things out there. And, yeah. I, and I'm sure that these pollsters have their own political proclivities as well. So, so yeah. tell us, read the tea leaves and, and tell me what you are seeing right now on this 21st day of November. Where do you see the state of our country and, and what is the momentum that you're feeling? Well, I'll tell you this. And, and, you know, I'm not here to, like, support one candidate over the other. It's just that it is a reality. We're going to have a special election here tonight in, in Utah for the District 2. All of these other off-cycle elections and midterm elections really settled. You know, I mean, when if we look back at the last four election, five election cycles, there is, um, you know, this, gr- this growing dissatisfaction with both parties. But because of how demographics have changed and different uh the the parties have kind of you know went through a a realignment there are a lot of republican voters who only vote for one man or i would say this there are a lot of voters who would be republican voters who seem to only want to vote for one guy and in a general election republicans are having a very difficult time getting them to the polls when he is not there when he is not on the ballot so i just want to preface what i'm about to say with that uh, because I think 22, the underperformance in 22 very clearly came from Democrats having a great ground game and a great, you know, vote harvesting operation that isn't being mirrored by Republicans. And without, you know, that again, and I'm talking about former President Trump, without Trump on the ballot, they, they can't match that. So even in an election cycle like 22, where they should have done much better, they underperformed, especially in key areas, badly. So that all being said, going into 24, this is, and we're polling right now, we have a bunch of Rust Belt State polls that we're putting out this week. This is not 2016. This is not 2020. Biden in it, Biden is in real trouble. This is, um, this is uh, I've never seen a, a Republican presidential candidate poll this strongly before. Let me just say that. You know, in all the years I've, I've been doing this, um, you know, from at the one-year mark, and things can change, but at the one-year mark, uh, it's looking pretty dire for Joe Biden. What do you think happens there? I think that what we're having is like this situation where, you know, we've never seen it in our lifetime, but, you know, Americans 100-plus years ago did. They had a president. His name was Grover Cleveland. He promised to come in, smash up everything, break the establishment. He was anti-corruption, and he was anti-status quo. And he really was just about, you know, personal freedoms. And the country loved it. They elected him. And then after four years, because he was constantly rocking the boat and and constantly breaking institutions that really didn't think belong there, um, they got rid of him. They removed him. He had a big fat four years later, I told you so. And he came back and he's the only president to serve two terms, more than one term, but not consecutively. And what happened back then is what I think is going on right now, Wendy. I really think we can talk about different demographics who have their own issues, but I really think it just comes down to this is a rematch between two men with two records, and the country knows them both. They're uniformly known, universally known. And I think that people have just concluded that Donald Trump was a better president and that their life was better under Donald Trump. You know, pre-COVID, their life was better, and they they want it back. And that is going to be a very, very, very steep hill for Joe Biden to climb mm-hmm. if things don't turn around. Yeah. You know, there's also, um, 
you know, this general sense that I think that the things are out of control. You know, it's like every every quarter we're hit with some other. It's not just all the issues at home, but, you know, it started with the Afghanistan withdrawal. And then from there, you know, potential great power conflicts in Eastern Europe, the Abraham Accords collapsing in the Middle East. And I just think that people are are they don't like uh, so much, um, you know, tumult. I think they they like stability. They like calm. They They want peace and prosperity and they're not getting it. Right. And it's it's insulting to anybody paying attention when the administration or its mouthpieces say that we just don't understand or their messaging hasn't been adequate because the dollars and cents in your bank account tell you basically everything you need. to. I mean, if we're just going to be honest, that's where we are. I find it intriguing. The the black uh, non-college educated male voter who seems to be neutralizing to some degree the white uh, liberal college educated suburban wine drinking soccer mom yes uh, you really nailed i mean that's really it you you've characterized the realignment that's going on really well here generally guys like me they'll tell you if a republican is going to lose a single point off of uh, their white vote share they need, you know, six times the, an increase in, in black support in order to match that. But the truth is, uh, the way he's polling right now, it, he's getting that and more. And even though there, there are, that white demographic is most definitely out there, uh, they're, they're really not as, they get a, a disproportionate amount of coverage by the media, but they, they're not a terribly large block. And they're not a growing block. They're as big as they're going to be for a while now because it's just we just had a 10-year census, and we can see it's actually the non-white, uh, you know, working class that is the growing segment of the population. So if you're in a realignment, if you're in the middle of a realignment like the one you just described, and you're on the side of the non-white working class, it's a good place to be, Wendy. It's a good place to be in the in the short term in the midterm in the long term maybe you take some losses in the short term but it's yeah for the future it bodes well for you and we did see you know in 2020 we did see him doing better with black men we did not see him doing as well as he wound up doing with black women he even increased the support with them and then of course the hispanic male has been a big driver in this so you know the cnn poll was very close to ours Trump was actually winning uh, non-white men in that poll. So uh, that's astonishing. I mean, you know, years ago, we would never be having this conversation about Mitt Romney. That would never happen. Tell me about abortion. Yeah, I think abortion excites. Let me put it this way. I think abortion is a messaging and turnout problem. Mm -hmm. It's not a public opinion problem. We've done a lot of research on abortion, and if you take a pro-choice voter and you ask them, well, how about late-term abortion? A majority will tell you they oppose late-term abortion, even though they're a pro-choice voter. It's that very core pro-choice voter who basically doesn't want abortion ever, that is very excited by this issue, and Democrats are doing a good job getting their side pissed off and out to the polls when these issues come up, and the right just doesn't seem to care enough. Republicans made a really strate- a really bad strategic error. After Roe v. Wade, they, they should have went for the low-hanging fruit. Yes. And I understand whether, you know, people are pro-life, no exceptions. I understand that point of view, but it doesn't matter what I think. 
So the voters should have been kind of massaged into this. I agree. I I agree. I think it was a major failure in messaging, and messaging matters. Rich, do you have time to hang out for one more short segment? Absolutely. Excellent. Hey, if you're just joining us, what a delight. Rich Barris, director of Big Data Polling. More with him next on the Wendy Bell Radio Program. Great to welcome back director of Big Data Polling, Rich Barris. All right, tell me what your polls, Rich. What are you seeing? What What's recent that you're dropping that you think is important for our listeners to hear today? The big one is the Rust Belt poll. That's what uh, we've been doing this for a few years, but uh, this has grown over the last uh, couple of years now. It's a massive study of what we call the big six, uh, Iowa, Ohio, Michigan, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And, you know, so goes the Rust Belt, so goes the country, right? Arizona and Georgia are certainly important, but, uh, you know, you figure if you're going to carry, if you're sweeping the Rust Belt or you're putting together a significant coalition in the Rust Belt, uh, you're likely to carry Arizona and Georgia. And we're we're polling those states as well. But the most recent ones that we've uh, done right now is that, again, almost 7,000 interviews we conducted across these six states. We put out Pennsylvania first. We just put out uh, Michigan after that, and Ohio's next. The big, you know, the, the, the big takeaway from this is that Biden, there's two things going on. Biden has base fracture, which is really uh, not where an incumbent wants to be one year out. His support is, you know, that put together his coalition in 2020 is collapsing. Mm-hmm. And coupled with that is that Trump is, at or exceeding targets that he needs to hit in order to have beaten Biden last time. So it's really like a, a one-two punch, Wendy, right? So it's not just that Trump is under uh, overperforming. Trump, uh, Biden, excuse me, I'm confusing people, is underperforming. So if Biden doesn't somehow claw back that chunk of non-white votes, uh, particularly black men that we were just talking about in the last segment, if he doesn't do that, then Trump's going to get 18% of the black vote in Pennsylvania, and Biden's going to lose. It's not, yeah. I mean, the state of Pennsylvania right now um, is uh, about a five-point shift from our last poll in 2020, and we did have Biden winning the Rust Belt in 2020, just so people uh, know for, you know, for for the, you know, track record purposes. Um, You know, we, we even overestimated Biden slightly in some of the states, but largely very close. Michigan, he was up by two. Pennsylvania, a hair. It was very close. Um, and Wisconsin, we did have Biden up by two. Minnesota is the biggest, one of the biggest swings out of all the six states we polled, incredibly. We had Biden up there by 10 in 2020. He won it by seven. So we, we did overstate him a little bit. But it wasn't particularly close that year like it was in 16. Now what we're seeing is basically a 10-point shift away from Biden since our last, uh, well, since our final 2020. It's huge. And you can't do that, by the way. You know, speaking of that suburban female voter, you can't do that, you know, not that big of a swing in a state like Minnesota just on the backs of non-whites and working class. What happened there is that, you know, for all the talk about this demographic, you know, it turns out when they're being hurt by economics, too, you know, some of them, not all of them, but some of them are persuadable and they shift back. So, you know, this Ramsey and Hennepin Democratic strongholds, you know, Trump is this is kind of the theme across all six states. He's doing he's squeezing as much blood from the rural county stone that he can squeeze. 
but he's really doing damage to Biden in what are traditionally blue areas, right. where he chops off, you know, there's large vote shares in urban areas, and he, he's doing five points, six points, seven points better there. That's a lot of votes, Wendy. Yes, you know, you're, you're, you know, you know Pennsylvania well. If he gets 39, 40% and barely ekes out a win in Pennsylvania, if getting 39, 40% in Allegheny, what happens if he hits 43, 44% in Allegheny County? It's over. It's, right. You can't make that up as a Democrat. Right. So... That's what we're seeing, and it's it's remarkable. All right, so this is a weird question. Give me a secret that you haven't told anybody else regarding polling, regarding your magic eight ball, what you see. Uh, ooh, that's okay. Yeah, and I'm not sure it's too much of a... People are kind of catching on now, um, but, you know, we, we obsess over the suburban vote, and I think this, the real secret, if people haven't seen it yet, is that the future of the Republican Party is more of an urban and rural coalition then I'm not saying you, you kind of like right off the suburbs. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying that you can afford to do worse with them if you are doing much, much better in the five boroughs of New York. And, you know, it, you, maybe you get crushed in the Philadelphia suburbs where the rich, white, educated liberal is, but it doesn't matter if you can get another 5% out of the wards of Philadelphia. Oh. And I, I really think that's, that's, that's the I, I, how many, how could I put it? That's what Republican voters are deciding on when they go to the ballot yes. box to vote in the primaries and caucus. If they vote one way, they move toward that coalition. If they vote, you know, towards like a Nikki Haley or something. Uh, no offense. I'm just putting, you know. I'm no, just, I get it. I get it. In my last 20 seconds, tell people how they can follow you and support your efforts, sir. The best place we're everywhere, but the best place is on Locals. That's basically our central little hub. It's peoplespundit.locals.com. And from there, they can see all the polling we're doing. They can follow up on, on the different trackers in the state polls. It, if, they, if they follow over there, Wendy, they're going to see it all. peoplespundit.locals.com. Thank you, Rich Barris. So great to meet you. As well, all the best and happy Thanksgiving. Thank Thanks you, sir. You as well. Hey, I don't go anywhere. A U.S. Army veteran has a story to tell you that is just jaw-dropping. I've got it for you next on the Wendy Bell Radio Network. This is one of those stories that strikes that visceral nerve in me. For many years, as just a mom, I had fancied one of my sons going into the military. I thought maybe it was going to be my son, Christopher, until he turned six foot three at the age of 14. I thought he might want to be in the Air Force. He was always interested in that sort of stuff. I can't fathom being the parent of a child in today's military. I can't imagine what active duty men and women go through while fulfilling what they believe is an oath. I can't imagine the woke BS they've gone through. And if the United States government runs the military the way it does the Postal Service, we're screwed. But this story, <clears throat> this one hurts. Headline, trendingpoliticsnews.com. You probably might have seen this 
on Twitter as well. We've got the gentleman's audio. I want to talk to you about this, though. U.S. Army soldier reveals he is being charged for equipment that he was ordered to leave behind in Afghanistan during that botched withdrawal. An outgoing U.S. Army soldier provided a scathing rebuke of military leadership in the Biden administration's policies in an impassioned video statement released on his last day on the job. The outgoing soldier also revealed that the Army is sending him a hefty bill for equipment he was ordered to leave behind on the tarmac. I kid you not, he says, during the infamous withdrawal from Afghanistan. He says today is turn in gear day for me. And he's going to go through this. He says upon turning in his gear, he was presented with this bill for equipment that he was told he had to leave behind in Afghanistan because there was not enough room on the bird. Because as the last two helos were sitting on the tarmac ready to leave, there wasn't enough space for extra gear, extra weight. We were basically told, don't worry about it. Some lower enlisted dudes, including myself, were like, ah, I'm not leaving this. This is expensive. I'm going to get charged. And he was told, no, no, no. We've got your back. I want you to listen to what he says in that plea on his Twitter page. And then we ought to go through something that none of us should forget. Because if we're going to agree on a premise that I set up on earlier in the program today, that take everything about us that's different out of the equation. Everything. If we can agree that money finances your family's bank account matters most with your ability to provide, to dream, to manage stress, to manage an emergency, and we have... Since 2001 in Afghanistan, spent in the military more than $80 billion to just bugger out in a botched withdrawal that left $7 billion of those goods behind for the Taliban, then you understand this gentleman's ire and mine. His name is uh, Brock Michael. I do not know what his rank is, but I want you to hear this man as he's leaving the military. This is his final moment, leaving the military. There's no thank you for your service. We've been so grateful for you. Please keep in touch. Please join the reserves. Hope you stay active. It's been swell. No, here's a bill for almost four grand. Go. I want to share something with you guys today. I want to holler. I want to scream. I want to yell. But it won't do any good. Um, today is gear turn in day for me. I turn in all the gear that I've collected over the last four years of being active duty with the army, with the 82nd airborne division. Two years ago, my unit deployed to Afghanistan for the Afghanistan withdrawal. We spent a few weeks over there. It was hectic. It was chaotic. It was disgusting. And it made me very disappointed in our government today. I'm reminded of how disappointed I am in our government. Go to turn in my gear. They want to charge me $500 to $1,000 for gear that I was ordered to leave in Afghanistan two years ago. 
because as the last two birds were sitting on the tarmac, ready to leave, there wasn't any room for extra gear, or extra weight. Therefore, we were told to leave it. Some lower enlisted dudes, including myself, were like, no, this stuff is expensive. I'm not leaving this. I'm going to get charged for this when it comes time to leave. Don't worry. We're going to catch you on the back end. You know, we'll flipple it. No. It's time to get out of the army and they just want to, they want to charge you for, for that. Meanwhile, we can continue to give millions of dollars to the Taliban. We can give billions of dollars to Ukraine. We can give billions of dollars to student debt relief. We can give a bunch of stupid stimulus checks. We can cut those to the American people. But we can't cover $500 to $1,000 for a dude that left gear in Afghanistan. For a dude that left gear in a place that you put me to begin with. The government is so stinking backwards right now, man. This administration's last priority is the American people. And, and inside of the American people, their last priority is their soldiers, their Marines, their airmen, their, their, their Navy. It's so messed up, man. I thought today was going to be bittersweet getting out. But I'm just so happy to separate. I'm very, very excited to stop serving my government and just getting started serving my country. It's sad. Today is November 20th. This is the amount they want to hit me with leaving service. $3,561. I'm not asking for help, but if you wanted to help, I would greatly appreciate it. I'm going to swallow my pride for the sake of my family and post my Venmo in the comments. Thank you so much. Now, I can't tell you how many people have donated to him. I have no idea what he's raised. I'm sure he's raised that and then some. Is that disgusting? So I found this article. We have a government that says you guys just don't understand how great Joe Biden is. You, you just don't understand how important he, he's been. All of the work he's done is bipartisan legislation. And what we forget is how little they care for our hard-earned money. Why are we paying taxes when you revisit the staggering costs of the U.S. military equipment left behind in Afghanistan. And th this is an article from Forbes. And, and this is an article that is more than two years old. This isn't like news to anybody. Joe Biden checking his watch after his ridiculous and embarrassing and deadly and highly preventable botched withdrawal, the transfer of those 13 U.S. service members' bodies. As he, I don't know if it was nervous habit, if he had a lunch date, had to go to the bathroom. I have no idea as he kept checking his watch. And then the disingenuous interactions he had with some of the families as he was trying to channel his son, Bo, and the fallacious story that he died in Iraq, but he didn't. And how anybody else who is not suffering cognitive decline, who has a functioning cerebral cortex, would never start talking about their own personal loss when confronted with a grieving mother or father. But the sheer magnitude 
of the dollars and cents of lunacy. We funded the Taliban the same way we fund Iran, the same way we fund through Iran and through Gaza, Hamas. We are so dirty, it's sick. How about an estimated $83 billion worth of training and equipment to Afghan security forces since 2001? And in 2021, that year alone, the U.S. military aid to Afghan forces was $3 billion. We can't build a freaking wall at our southern border to prevent 10 million people or whatever the freaking number is of human beings who've come across illegally. But we can give them $3 billion. We can give an unfreeze $6 billion for Iran and Hezbollah and Hamas and whatever thing else. But the amount of waste the disregard for just this, $174 million in lost Scan Eagle drones. How about that? I have a list of all of the Humvees, the handguns, the everything. $7 billion. The helicopters, which after we left the Taliban, took up. And flew over the people of Afghanistan. That was Joe Biden. These people don't deserve another anything. They didn't deserve this chance to serve us. Because all they've done is screw the honest, hardworking America first people of this country. I hope that gentleman got his money and then some. Whew. Hey, don't go anywhere. We told you the story about Fauci opening a new bat lab in Montana because that makes sense. Well, that's kind of ticked off a few folks in Congress. Got a little update for you. Worthwhile follow up next on the Wendy Bell Radio Network. All right, so let's just talk about, we don't give a crap. Your money? Meh. Who cares? We wring our hands over this defense budget, and you want to wonder why. Why? We need to keep America safe. It ain't about keeping America safe. It feels like just one giant money laundering operation. And you're paying for it. So am I. Do you know how many rifles the United States has bought Afghan forces, 358,000 M16s, AK-47s, 126,000 pistols, 64,000 machine guns, 25,000 grenade launchers, 12,692 shotguns, 9,877 rocket-propelled weapons, 2,600 indirect fire weapons. I mean, the howitzer, let's just talk about that. The modern cannon for the U.S. military. Each unit can cost up to $500,000. Well, how many of those did we leave behind? You don't want to know. 
because you won't ever want to pay your freaking taxes again. Hey, Janet Yellen, suck it. I feel better. Thank you very much for that. All right, a little update on your favorite Dr. Science. I love this. Legalinsurrection.com. Love it. Senators probe Fauci-run biolab in Montana, where scientists conducted bat research with COVID-like virus in 2018. Told you about this two weeks ago. Anybody paying attention? Fauci thinks he can slither off into the darkness, but somebody whose ego is as huge as Dr. Fauci's couldn't possibly step away. The last time we checked in on former White House coronavirus expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, he was grousing that the public may not buy into future mask recommendations. <laughs> My brother. My brother. That ship has sailed so long ago, well long ago, along with your integrity. The UK Daily Mail recently reported that U.S. taxpayer money was used to experiment with coronaviruses from the Chinese lab thought to be the source of the COVID pandemic more than a year before the global outbreak. What's wrong with that? It happened in a wet market. And anybody who says otherwise, we need to unleash the kraken of fact checkers. Don't you see how all of this is connected? Donald Trump and Elon Musk at the beginning of the program. Pushing back. Title of today's show, America on Offense. It ought not take three, five, seven years for us to identify a scumbag in our midst. Fauci, hook, line, and sinker is that. The living embodiment of that. One could say it's a tight race. Who should be there more on the Mount Rushmore of suck? Who would we put? Well, I'm going to go with Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, Zuckerbucks, Fauci. Who else, Brock? Who are we forgetting? I think you're forgetting George Soros. Soros, thank you so very much. We won't trifle ourselves with lesser lengths like Rochelle Walensky, who perpetrated one of the biggest scams... In American history, it's safe and effective. Get it? It stops with you. It's magic. Young people are going to kill their elderly adults in their homes. No, they're not. Dirtbag. The National Institutes of Health under Dr. Anthony Fauci's leadership infected 12 Egyptian fruit bats with a SARS-like virus called WIV-1. Oh, Wuhan Institute of Virology 1? at a lab in Montana in 2018. Because that makes sense! The WIV, WIV-1 coronavirus was shipped from the Wuhan lab. The FBI believes caused the COVID pandemic and was tested on bats acquired from a roadside Maryland zoo. Of course! Why wasn't it? Hopefully, yeah, right. <laughs> the crazy monkeys. Right. I, I remember when... It was news here in Pennsylvania. It was like two summers ago when some rando truck had some spill on a road and all of these monkeys escaped all of these enclosures, right? I'm like, why are a bunch of monkeys being transported? Well, were they heading west towards Montana? 
I don't know. It's probably happening here in my backyard, too. What weird viruses. We already know that the Chinese wackos were doing that bio lab with Ebola and other crap in California. And and the feds are like, "Eh, you know, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We're still trying to push the two-in-one thing. Get your COVID booster and your flu shot at a pharmacy near you. What are we doing? Republican Senators Joni Ernst, Eric Schmidt, rock star. Thank you, Missouri. Thank you for giving us your AG. He's a great senator. Recently sent a letter to the NIH demanding to, quote, learn more about potentially risky research at the... You know what? I don't want to learn more. I want to expose these people for everything. You know damn well what they were doing. You know damn well when Bill Gates invested in BioNTech in 2019 in the early fall, months before a once-in-a-lifetime global pandemic, and made $260 million when he then decided to sell. When, you know, it, we found out that a lot of people were having some bad side effects, like dying because of the vaccine. He decided to dump it and say, you know what? It's kind of a bummer. We had really high hopes for that drug that we pushed through endlessly on people with an emergency use authorization. But I guess it didn't work. We'll go back to the drawing board. Pay attention, friends. That gut thing that you've got going on. When you see people and you hear people and you know they suck. Trust your instincts. Hey, you know what? This was a fun show. Appreciate you guys being a part of it. If you like it, there's good news. We're here tomorrow, Thanksgiving and Friday. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Peace.